of First Peter, chapter one, starting at verse one. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying word of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the suffering of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that they have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, with minds that are alert and sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on the Father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him who you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass 
and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, another long passage read for us today. I hope you were able to uh, stay focused and uh, try and take it all in. There's a lot there and we're not going to be covering the whole of that chapter today. We'll be picking uh, bits out of it along the way, but that's one of the great reasons to join a connect group and get one of those guides. If you've got a pew Bible there, please have it open to 12.20 and uh, I'm sure that will help. Well, as Chris has said, today we begin a new series. This is our six weeks of Easter series on the first letter of Peter. And we've called this series Real Hope because it's what those early Christians whom Peter was writing to, it was what they needed, real hope. A sure and genuine hope to face the barrage of persecution and suffering that they were experiencing. And this letter addresses that. It's about how to live in a world that is against you. How to stay faithful to Christ in that context and what attitude to have in endurance. You see, the world those early Christians lived in was hostile to them. And they needed encouragement. They needed guidance and hope to know how to live well for Christ. When all the time the world they were in was moulding them to be and to, and to live differently. So as we work through this little book over these six weeks, we'll be looking at different aspects of life and how the call to hold on to hope, real hope, helped those early Christians. Do you find that today the world that we live in is becoming more and more hostile to Christians or negative to Christians? And not just negative to Christians, but even negative and hostile to that historical Christian ethos and the values that have shaped the world. Well, this little letter can also help us to live in the world that we find ourselves in, with real hope instead of despair. Now, this letter of Peter was written to people in a particular area of the world that we now call Turkey or as we've learnt, Turkey. <laughs> uh, modern day Istanbul, I'll see if I can get this to work. Modern day Istanbul is there. This circle here, uh, no, this one, yeah, this here, that's Gallipoli. Uh, I'm sure some of you have visited Gallipoli. Uh, this is where Ephesus is. Now the city of Izmir is on the coast there where Ephesus used to be. Ephesus, by the way, Ephesus is now, Ephesus used to be on the coast. It was a port. It's now several kilometres inland because the, the land has changed. The coastline has changed. So Izmir is on the coast. Ephesus is several kilometres inland now. Down here, this is where Laodicea and Colossae are, where the letter was written to the Colossians. And, and over here, of course, this is in Greece. That's uh, the area where you find Thessalonica, where the Thessalonians lived, and Philippi. So you get the general geography of where uh, we're talking about seeing it on uh, one of our maps. 
At the very beginning of his letter, Peter says that uh, I'm writing to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. So hopefully you can see there of how Turkey was two millennia ago. That's where those areas were. Bithynia and Pontus up in the north, Galatia in the centre, Cappadocia in the east, and Asia, as it was called, in the west. Now, these early Christians, as the letter says, scattered across these areas because they were persecuted. We think that this letter was written in the early to mid-60s of the first century. This is likely in the 30 years following the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, of course. Christians have had a tough start in those early decades as, as people began to follow Jesus, becoming Christians. The church grew and flourished, which was great, uh, but there was also opposition. And I think that whatever century we're in and wherever we are, people who choose to follow Jesus, the crucified and risen one, will always be at odds with the world that they find themselves in. We're at odds with this world. In fact, I would dare to say that if we do find ourselves very comfortable in this world, that we're probably not living for Jesus as we should. <laughs> well, this letter addresses that particular phenomenon. If we live for Jesus, our hope and our home is somewhere else. If we live for Jesus, this world will never satisfy us and we will never satisfy the world. It's possible that this is the route that Peter's letter took as it went around the churches encouraging people. Uh, so that's just a possibility of where they think it might have gone and how it might have travelled. So that's just interesting to see uh, where it was delivered and shared amongst the churches. When Chris and I were on service on long service leave in 2014, one of the most amazing places we visited was Turkey. We found something new and fascinating every single day. In fact, Chris often describes our time in Turkey by saying that there was yet another surprise around every corner. This is some of the landscape of Cappadocia. Uh, yes, we did go up in a balloon. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, their homes were carved out of those mountains. Uh, not only were the Christians persecuted in the early church, but they were also persecuted in the Middle Ages and the Dark Ages. Uh, their places of worship were carved into the mountains. There you can see a door that goes into a chapel to St. Barbara. There's another entry into a place of worship that as the Christian church uh, stayed in Turkey, and the Christian church is still in Turkey, this is where they lived in those first centuries. And they had to uh, go underground because of the uh, authorities and the Muslims seeking them out as the centuries went on. They would hide and live in underground cities with sophisticated air channels providing oxygen for them. They dug hundreds of metres through these mountains creating villages just like ants. The particular city that we explored was underground by more than 75 metres 
and the series of tunnels provided rooms for sleeping and eating and cooking and storage. It was absolutely incredible. Thousands of people lived in these underground cities. It was the only way they could survive as Christians in those first centuries up until about 1,000. So not only was this letter from Peter appropriate for the early centuries and the first century, it was also appropriate towards the end of the first millennia and the beginning of the second millennia and still to the Christians of Turkey today and for us it is increasingly appropriate in the third millennia as we face a world that is hostile to us. You'll notice that the picture that we've used for our Easter, for our Real Hope graphic is uh, one of those underground rooms in an underground city there in Turkey. So what does Peter have to say to speak encouragement and life and hope into this situation? Well, he begins by reminding them of who they are and what their future is. Look at what he says in the first couple of verses. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, and that's scattered in those places, who have been chosen, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus and sprinkled with his blood. That's who they are. And what is their future? Their future is in Christ. Look there in verse 4. Into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. He tells them who they are and what their future is. He speaks to them about hope, about a living hope, which will take them not only into the future, but will actually take them into eternity. Peter is writing about something that is certain. It's a hope in the present that holds the future because it's anchored in the past. It's anchored and accomplished in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. What a great thing to be thinking about in this week after Easter. Look at what he says. You've been chosen and destined by God the Father. You've been sanctified by the Spirit for the purpose of being obedient to Jesus and to be sprinkled with his blood. Born into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because Jesus is alive, Christians in those churches had a hope that is alive and we have a hope that is alive. Every one of us needs hope, don't we? When we're feeling hopeless, things tend to get pretty, pretty low, don't they? Where do you find your hope? What is your hope for the future based on? What is your hope for eternity based on? What is your hope of heaven based on? Perhaps your hope has faded over the years. Perhaps you no longer feel that your eternity is sure. Well, what Peter is saying here is that our future never perishes, never spoils, never fades. Why? Because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. That's why. And when hope runs thin, that's when we need to persevere, when we need to look beyond ourselves to the foundation of that hope. That is, we need to look to the historical Christ, to the Christ who died and rose again. God intervened in the natural order 
to raise Jesus from the dead. Hallelujah. The resurrection also shows us that God vindicates those who suffer unjustly for the sake of Christ. Just as God didn't leave Jesus to suffer but raised him on the third day, those who suffer for Christ's sake can be sure that God will vindicate them in the end. It's interesting though, isn't it, to notice that it doesn't mean we'll avoid suffering. In fact, suffering is pretty much guaranteed if we live for Jesus. It's a given. But suffering isn't the end of the story. Now, we will say more about suffering in a few weeks' time, but for now, suffice to say that for us, suffering in Australia at this point in history very rarely means physical suffering, does it? We don't suffer physically. More often what happens is that Christians in our culture are marginalised. We're left out of the conversation. We're made a joke of. We're considered irrelevant. That's about the extent to which we're likely to find ourselves persecuted where we are. But even when that happens, it's not the end of the story. God will vindicate in the end. And those who think that Christ is irrelevant are going to face him one day. And I take heart in the knowledge of God's vindication for the millions of our brothers and sisters who suffer in other parts of the world today, including in Turkey today. Their hope and our hope for the future and for eternity rests in the risen Jesus. But let's go on to see what else Peter says about this real hope into which we've been born. We're being protected by the power of God through faith. And so Peter tells us in verse 6 that we rejoice. We have joy. Why? Because although we don't yet see Jesus, although we may have to suffer various trials because of our faith in him, we know that we're already receiving the outcome of our faith, which is salvation salvation the future inheritance that we look forward to is already being worked out in us we're already members of God's kingdom where we already have God's spirit living within us we're already experiencing through the community of faith through being here with one another something of what it will be like to be part of the great communion of saints in heaven and as comfortable as, as uncomfortable as this world is or its trials may be, there is a positive purpose. And we find that in verse 7. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. In fact, Peter is saying to these churches, your present experience is this. Even though you can't see Jesus, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable joy because of the salvation you're experiencing even now. And isn't it fantastic in verse 10 to notice that this salvation is exactly what all those prophets of old had looked forward to. Although they spoke to the people of their own time, what they said was also addressed to those Christians across the regions and to us. The witness of the prophets was to assure us that what we see in the death and resurrection of Christ was the result of a definite plan and foreknowledge of God 
And that's what Peter said in his speech on the day of Pentecost, which we read earlier. So how does this impact our hope and our joy? Because it shows that the death of Jesus wasn't a mistake. It was what God meant to happen. It was the fulfilment and culmination of his plan. And what's more, we are privileged to have that plan revealed to us. Verse 12 says even the angels longed to see it. They didn't. We did. It was revealed to us. So let's move on. Look at verse 13. Therefore, because of all of that, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed as his, at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Our holiness is really interesting, isn't it? Do you know what holy means? It means set apart. Our set apartness takes us into eternity. If God has completed this part of his plan, then we can be sure that he'll complete the rest of his plan, which of course is to bring us to live with him in his kingdom forever, for eternity. Our call to holiness is a call to have an eternal mindset. We are made for eternity. We've been redeemed for eternity. And Peter continues to take them further. He goes on to show them how to live. Being holy, being set apart for God. Now, in the world we live in today, holiness is a bit of a foreign concept, isn't it? Do you see a holy world around you? It shows us time and time again that this world is not our true home. It's not our true end. And that's seen in verse 17 when Peter describes those Christians, and I believe it also describes us, that we are foreigners here. And because of that, we are to live in reverent fear of our Father in heaven. Being holy is not what this world calls me to, I don't find. Does it? It's blatantly clear to me that this world calls me to be unholy, exactly the opposite of what I'm supposed to be. And I think if you're honest, you would agree that this world is calling you to be unholy as well. Do you feel that pressure? I'm really glad that Peter tells us how to be holy because we're not going to find out on our own. Peter says, get your minds ready so that when you face opposition... You're prepared so that when life gets tough, you're not taken by surprise. In these verses, Peter says to us, it is possible to be holy. Look at verse 18. It begins with the words, you know, you know. And in the Greek, it relates to the previous verse where it says, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. The logic of it is this. Live like this because you know this. In other words, the Christian life is lived out. Holiness is lived out of a knowledge 
that Christ has accomplished redemption through the resurrection. Verse 18, you know that it was not with perishable things that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ. And so we live out our lives in holiness because of the confidence we have in Jesus and what he's accomplished for us. It's because of the cross that we can accept God to be both father and judge. And we know that reality because the cross shows us. I can't help but think of the words of that beautiful song by Graham Kendrick from quite a few years ago now. We worship at your feet where wrath and mercy meet and a guilty world is washed by love's pure stream. Maybe we need to bring that song back. eh? We worship at your feet, wrath and mercy. These are other words for judgment and love. Love's pure stream, the love Jesus shed on the cross, brings these two things together. Being holy is often portrayed as negative, but being holy is actually something very positive. It's about having purpose. It's about knowing our distinctiveness and valuing it. It's about being chosen and knowing that we are chosen. The actual definition of this is that we are set apart for a particular purpose. God has called us. We are his I want to share some quotes about holiness from three Christian greats. Firstly, D.L. Moody. A holy life will make the deepest impression. Lighthouses blow no horns. You might need to do it for me, Beck. This isn't working at the moment. A holy life will make the deepest impression. Lighthouses blow no horns. They just shine. And from the great C.S. Lewis, how little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it is irresistible. Do we want to be like that? (laughs) Do we want to be irresistible? And John Brown, a great 19th century Scottish theologian, holiness does not consist in mystic speculations, enthusiastic fervours or uncommanded austerities. It consists in thinking as God thinks and willing as God wills. That needs a bit of reflection, doesn't it? But isn't it powerful? Have another read of it. Great thoughts for reflection. I hope you noticed that our first reading today was from the day of Pentecost and it was Peter speaking, the writer of this letter that we're looking at. It was just six weeks after this same Peter had denied Christ three times, then witnessed the resurrection, then was restored three times by Jesus when they were eating some John Dory on the beach. This transformed Peter said on the day of Pentecost addressing the crowd, fellow Jews, listen carefully. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. He said that in 1 Peter 1. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death, but... God raised him from the dead, freeing him from agony. 
because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. 30 to 40 years later, Peter's conviction has not waned, has it, as he writes this letter. He knows and believes the same thing. And we are benefiting. My friends, whatever our circumstances, this first chapter of 1 Peter assures us that we are to live with real hope and real joy because of the Easter truths. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah.